0: And we will turn to Acts chapter 21. Pastor Stuck said moments ago as he was introducing the prayer that Palm Sunday is such an amazing thing to think about. That Jerusalem can cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and then one week later reject and crucify the one who came to be their Savior. The amazing thing about God is this. God loves even those who reject Him. God loves those who would consider themselves his enemies, and indeed are his enemies. God loves them still, and has a heart for them, wanting them to come to salvation. And certainly that's brought out here in the book of Acts, as we see the Apostle Paul share the gospel with a very hostile audience, people who were enemies of Christ and enemies of Paul, and yet the love of Christ compelled him to share the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the heart of God. The story's told of a slave in the West Indies. His name was Caesar. He had become a Christian. He had earned his freedom, and yet the deplorable institution of slavery still existed, Caesar went with his master to the slave market. And Caesar's outlook was, I'm going to the slave market to rescue some of these slaves from horrible masters who will mistreat these slaves. We'll buy up as many as we can and bring them to our plantation where they'll be treated right, where they'll be treated well. And as he was going through the market, he came to one broken-down old man that nobody wanted. And he implored his master, he said, please, can we buy this man? The master looked and said, hey, he's not going to be able to do any work. Why would we buy him? And Caesar insisted and pleaded. And finally, the master gave in. When the slave was brought to the plantation, he was unable to work. Caesar, as a matter of fact, took great time and care in binding up this broken-down old fellow, encouraged him, fed him, cared for him. Finally, the master came to him and said, who is this man? Is he an uncle? Is he your father? You know what Caesar's response was? No. For most of my life, this man has been my enemy. He mistreated me at previous plantations. He made my life a living hell. But Christ says, love your enemies. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm loving my enemy. That is the heart of God. God looks to those who have rejected Him. And He loves them right where they are. Even in their hatred and their rejection, He offers the hope of salvation. The opportunity to find forgiveness and to come into a relationship with Him. that is the heart of God. Here in Acts chapter 21, starting at verse 27... We find that the Apostle Paul had come to Jerusalem in the earlier part of that 21st chapter, and when he had come there, the church asked something of him. Many within the Jewish community of faith had been fed poisonous information about the Apostle Paul. They had been told that he was against them, that he hated them, that... He was telling Jews to no longer be Jewish. And so the church fathers asked him to please, out of a spirit of love and unity, go to the temple, sponsor some men who are making a vow, and demonstrate your solidarity with some of your Jewish community. And Paul did that. What's amazing is that Paul made this great sacrifice, and then things went bad. You know, we have this delusion sometimes that, hey, if I'm doing everything right, then life will go right, and I don't have to worry about anything bad happening as long as I'm in the will of God. That's erroneous thinking. We're never promised that in Scripture. What we are promised is that God will empower us and strengthen us to deal with whatever comes our way. And yes, in the midst of love and service, we can face life-altering, difficult situations that come into our lives. And that, indeed, is what Paul experienced right here. You see, what he first experienced from those who would reject him and reject Jesus were false accusations, and these were used as weapons by the enemies of God against this faithful servant. And what we find is an escalation by his foes as they opposed his ministry and his work. Look at verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, now the seven days refers to an observance of a vow. You would go and purify yourself in the temple on the third day and the seventh day. So Paul was coming on the seventh day to the temple. But look at what happens. Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple, and they stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Now we have met these opponents earlier in the book of Acts. Wherever Paul went to preach the gospel, a group of these opposers would follow him and do all that they could to turn whatever crowd would listen against Paul, against the gospel, against the ministry of the word. And so here they are again. But here's what we must realize. These men were not only inspired by their hatred of Paul, but I believe that they were also inspired by the evil one who takes every opportunity to stand against the work of God. And so they have their own hatred, they have their own entrapment in their spiritual bondage to the spiritual forces of evil. And here they are going after Paul, Escalating. Trying to not only oppose them himself, themselves, but trying to stir up the crowd against Paul one more time so that they could seize him and make him stop the work of the ministry. Now if any of you have ever been involved in serving God and you have that person or those people, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood who oppose you trying to share the gospel, who oppose you trying to lead your Christian life, you can sympathize with Paul in this situation. You know what it feels like. You know the difficulty of maintaining your walk in the face of such opposition. Paul did that. He was there to share the gospel, and look at what his enemies did. As we come to verses 28 through 29, we see that they make some fallacious assumptions about what Paul is doing there. So they're stirring up the crowd, and here's what they're shouting, verse 28. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. So what is their accusation? Their accusation basically is this. Paul hates us. Paul is trying to turn everyone he can against us. And you can see what he was doing. These leaders were trying to build hatred, the same hatred they had toward Paul by making false accusations against him. Not one of those accusations was true. Not a one. But isn't that the way it usually goes? The worst accusations have no basis in fact. They're designed to stir people up, to drive people's anger. And that's what they were doing against Paul. C.S. Lewis once said, people don't reject Christianity. They reject the poor caricature of it. What's a caricature? It's something that misrepresents who that person is. They will take a perceived flaw and accentuate it, and that's what people do against Christianity. They will take our faith, our principles, our moral stands, and they will use them as weapons against us. Once they have misinterpreted them and blown them out of proportion and made them look as bad as they possibly can, this is what they were doing with Paul. They were misapplying his teachings, and they were certainly not considering the heart of the Apostle Paul. So here they are, stirring up the people of Israel against him. The passage goes on to describe other accusations that they were making. Look at the next statement there in the 28th verse. And besides, he brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. Now, from our perspective in our time, we don't really understand what the big deal is, right? So he brings Gentiles into the temple area. But here's what we need to understand. The temple was divided into areas that were open to Jews, but not open to Gentiles. Archaeologists have even found some columns that, in Greek, said, no, Gentiles beyond this point, on pain of death. So we look at this and we say, well, what's the big deal? He brings some Gentile buddies with him to the temple. Their accusation and the understanding of every Jewish person in that community would have been, he has defiled the temple. He has brought people who are unworthy into an area of the temple that they are not to be in. And so it would stir up their sense of ire, their anger. It wasn't true. Paul knew better than that. As a matter of fact, Luke earlier said that what? He went with the four men that he was sponsoring, who were Jews, making a vow But that didn't stop the accusations, and so they directed those accusations toward the Apostle Paul. Then the text continues. Here are these people with these designs on Paul. They are committed to seeing him stopped, the work of his ministry destroyed. But you know, the wonderful truth of the matter is this the fate of God's people rests in His purposes and not in the purposes of men. These opponents were ferocious. They wanted to see the Apostle Paul hurt or killed, but certainly stopped. So when we come to the 30th verse, Luke records the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. And then look at this statement. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. What were these men trying to do? It's laid out for us right there in the 31st verse, isn't it? They were trying to kill him. They were violent. They dragged him into an area. They shut the gates behind him. They threw fist after fist at him, bludgeoning him. When Paul fell, no doubt they were kicking him. It was a violent scene so violent that there was a Roman fortress right on the outside of the temple, the fortress of Antonia. And God placed a vigilant guard in that tower, and he saw what was going on and decided to stop it. And that brings us to our next point. The fulfillment of God's plan unfolds according to his providence. Now let's talk about providence for a moment. Providence is God working in ways that we don't necessarily perceive in the natural order of things, but yet it still brings about the accomplishment of his purpose and his will. Sometimes God does things where we look and we say, that's miraculous, I can see God intervening here. Sometimes, if we didn't have faith, we would just say, oh, look at how all of these things just happen to line up and happen to, to come together. Wow, isn't that amazing? No, it wasn't amazing. It was providence. It was God working in a way that maybe we don't note, but it's still God at work. So here's the amazing thing that we find here in this chapter. When Paul was seized by these citizens... God intervened. And he had some of the Roman officers, verse 31, the Roman troops, and he had them go to stop the uproar where Paul was being beaten and bludgeoned. Now here's the amazing thing about this point. Later... These same Romans, not these particular soldiers, but the institution of Rome, would bring about the crucifixion and death of the Apostle Paul. But right now, God used them to save him. How does that work? Here's how it works. God had given Paul a prophecy. He had told him that he would be handed over to the Romans And he was told that he would go before kings, that he would go before rulers, and that he would take the gospel before the leadership of the Jews and the Romans. So had Satan succeeded in having those Asian Jews who had followed him around kill him, then God's word wouldn't have come true. But God in his providence protected his word and demonstrated himself faithful. Did Paul go through suffering? He felt every one of those blows and kicks. Sometimes when we are in the will of God, it means suffering. And when God's servant suffers, the pain is no less Severe, they experience the feeling of it, the hurt, the fear. But God is still there, working his purpose, bringing about his will, wisely and lovingly working in the situation to bring about his purpose. This is what Paul experienced. So here are these Roman soldiers. And look at verse 32. At once, some officers and soldiers ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now, here's the thing. These bullies circling around Paul, beating and kicking and trying to kill him, did not want to be beaten and kicked themselves by the bigger bullies, the Romans. So they see this entourage of Romans come in, and they stop. And then look at verse 33. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And then he asked who he was and what he had done. And some in the crowd shouted one thing and some the other. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. And the crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. So this is a violent scene of bedlam. Here is the Apostle Paul and he is being beaten and then rescued and then the crowd is so intense he has to be picked up and carried to the steps of the fortress in protection. But God brought it all about to accomplish his purpose, to accomplish his will. Unwittingly, the Roman soldiers were God's instrument of deliverance. We never know how God will send an instrument of deliverance into an impossible situation. But he does. His will will not be thwarted or stopped. God's purpose unfolds. And certainly this is something that Paul could see. So what have we seen so far? Enemies of God. These are people committed to killing God's servant, These are people who had rejected Jesus Christ in their hearts. And yet, as we come to the next part of our story, verse 37, we see God's servant faithfully carry out the work of God, even in this impossible situation. We find Paul looking for opportunities to share The gospel. Now I don't know about you, but if I had been beaten, kicked, drugged away by the rescue of the Roman soldiers, and we got to the steps, my response would have been keep going, guys, let's get into the barracks. Get away from these crazy people. I don't want to deal with them anymore. But what did Paul do? Look at verse 37. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek, he replied? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? So here's someone else making a wrong assumption about the apostle Paul. But Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, A citizen of no ordinary city, please let me speak to the people. Now look at the last verse of that 39th verse. Please let me speak to the people. You catch what's going on. He's being carried away to safety in the barracks. But Paul says, before you take me into safety, into the barracks, I want to stop and I want to address the crowd. This crowd that hates me, this crowd that has tried to kill me, this crowd that has rejected my master, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to share with them the gospel. And that just blows me away. To have that kind of heart for the lost can only come by understanding God's heart for the lost. In our humanity we would look and we would say, you know what, if they're condemned, let it happen quickly. I'm done with them. I've tried reaching out to them and they hate me for it, so whatever's going to happen is going to happen and that's fine by me. Wouldn't we feel that in our humanity apart from the love of God? Not so with Paul. Paul looked... And he recognized that his greatest persecutors are those that Christ died for. He still retained his passion for the lost, and at great personal risk, he said, Please let me speak to the people. So then we come to verse 40 and it says, Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. What passion and compassion we see from the Apostle Paul. Do we have a passion for the lost in that way? Do you love your persecutors? Do you love them enough to pray for them? To risk making yourself vulnerable to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person who has hated you and hurt you? That only comes through the love of Jesus Christ and Christ. Loves the lost. To me, one of the most tragic scenes that we see in the Gospels is Jesus standing outside Jerusalem. He would shortly go to the cross, and these are His words. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. That is the love of Christ. He reaches out to us even when we reject. He leaves the door open for us to experience a relationship with him. This is our compassionate God. And that's why Paul could be compassionate. It was Christ loving the enemies through him. And what God did for Paul, he can do for us. Think for a moment about your greatest persecutor that person that has made your life miserable. They have hurt you. They have said horrible things against you. They have made fun of your Savior. Blasphemed him. Do you love them? We can love them through the love of Christ. We can continue to share the gospel with them out of compassion and concern. And this is exactly what Paul does here. Because what he does is he moves into the facts of the gospel. And he presents them to those who will probably reject. But maybe somewhere in that crowd there's one person who will listen. And you know why I think that In Acts chapter 7, the Apostle Paul was a part of those who had assembled against Stephen. And remember, he was holding the cloaks of those who were throwing stones at Stephen. And as we'll see in this text, he was cheering them on. He was in full agreement with the martyrdom. You know, I think God used that to soften the heart of Saul, who would later become Paul. And that one perspective was changed. We never know, even in the face of rejection, how what we share might impact that one life. So here is Paul sharing the gospel. Look at verses 1 through 5. In 1 through 5, we see Paul share that he, too, was separated from God, and he begins to give his personal testimony. Just as an aside, let me encourage you. Your personal testimony can be one of your most powerful evangelistic tools. You can share what God has done in your life, and it does two things. One... It lets them see that you haven't always been that spiritual person that they perceive as that religious goody-two-shoes. And sometimes it's good for people to understand that, that I am a changed person because of what God has done in me. But it also shows them hope that if God did that for me, he can do that for you. That's the power of an effective testimony. So look at... What happens? He's addressing the crowd in verse 1, and then verse 2. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. (coughs) And then Paul said, verse 3, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. Now, here he's name-dropping. Gamaliel was one of the most important teachers in the Jewish community what he wanted them to understand is this, I was in the right circles, as far as you're concerned, with the same people that you look up to, but then he goes on to say this, he was under Gamaliel, and he was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today, and then look at verse 4. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Now, perhaps part of Paul's compassion for those persecutors was because he had been where they are. He knew what it was to passionately reject God and to persecute his followers. And so he's identifying with the group. And he's saying, I understand where you are and what you're going through. Listen, as believers, we need to communicate with the world that we understand where they are, that we've been there too. We need to let them understand that God makes a difference in our lives. So here is Paul talking about the persecution that he engaged in, putting believers to their death. And then look at verse 5. Also, the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to the brothers in Damascus and went there to try to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Same exact place that all of those who were trying to kill Paul were in. But then he goes on. He begins in verses 6 through 11 to talk about how Jesus made a difference in his life and how Jesus can make a difference in theirs. Look at verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And here in this short little excerpt, Paul is saying some profound things about Jesus Christ. Number one, what he's sharing with them is he is the risen Lord. The only way Jesus could speak to him on that road to Damascus is if he is alive, if he is risen. Jesus rose just as he said he would. Number two, what he's sharing with them is, Jesus changed me, he can change you. You know, that's vital, that we share that with people as we share the gospel. As a pastor, so many times I've heard people say, I'm too broken. I'm too far away from God. There's no way God could ever accept me. There's no way that God could ever bring me into a relationship with him. I'm too far gone. You ever heard someone say that? To me, the testimony of the Apostle Paul is like the ultimate testimony to share in that sort of situation. Often, I will say to that person, so have you ever gone into a church and drug Christians out of the church and killed them? Now, some people in the world have, but most of the people in my circles haven't. So I can share that with them. It may come to where we experience that. But even for that person, there's hope. Because there's one like them, the Apostle Paul, that God reached with the truth of the gospel. So here is Paul sharing his story. In verse 9, he goes on to talk about how he saw this light and that he didn't understand or those with him didn't understand the voice that was speaking to him. And then in verse 10, he says, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord responded, get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Now, when we read this on the surface, we look at it and we think, okay, those were just instructions. But understand this, what Jesus is saying is you will move from being this opposer, this persecutor, to being a servant. I will redeem you. I will take you and change you into a person that I accept. That I can use. And if it's possible for Paul, it's possible for anyone. Then we come to the 12th verse. In the 12th verse we see that anyone can become a part of the Christian community. Look at verse 12. A man named Ananias came to me, and he was a devout observer of the law, highly respected by the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. So God did a work, a miraculous work in his life. But then notice as the story goes on. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. God had opened the way for Paul to have a relationship with God. He allowed him to see the righteous one. This is a term that every Jew there would have understood. A term that means the Messiah who is Jesus, and to hear words from his mouth. In verse 15, it says, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. So God would take him, forgive him, and make him a new person and use him. That was what Paul experienced, and that's what he's sharing with this group of persecutors. God made that difference in his life. He can make that difference in your life. That's the message That's the truth. Look at verse 16. Ananias is still speaking to him. He says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. What Ananias was sharing with him is this. Look, you've been saved. That happened on the road to Damascus, by the way. In response to your salvation, be baptized as an outward testimony that your sins have been forgiven and that you are a part of the community of Christ. What he's holding out as hope to the Jews is any of you can come into the community of Christ and experience forgiveness and relationship with him. How? By calling on his name. But then the last part of the passage Paul begins to share with them that they need to decide what they will do with Jesus. In verse 17, it says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. You know what Paul was saying to the people there gathered in Jerusalem? You have heard the gospel before. You have had an opportunity. You rejected and God removed me for a time, but he's brought me back to share this message with you one more time. You know what's intriguing? Through the rest of the record in the book of Luke, no more messages by Paul to Jerusalem. Last message. And I think that's significant because God gives us opportunity to come into a relationship with Him. But guess what? If we keep kicking the can down the road, if we keep rejecting, if we keep saying, I've got my reasons for not responding, God will allow us to do that very thing. But with each rejection, our heart becomes harder. And it becomes more difficult for us to respond to the message of the gospel. These had heard the gospel many times. But they had become hardened. And so for a moment in time, God removed Paul from Jerusalem. Here he is sharing again. And then look at verse 19. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What Paul was saying to these Jews was this, You reject me because I have gone to the Gentiles. But I say to you, I went to the Gentiles because you rejected the gospel and God sent me. Powerful statement. A statement of warning. A statement that calls them to make a decision about Jesus Christ. And as we see in verse 22, they made their decision, but it wasn't the right one. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. And then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. God has a tremendous, compassionate heart. He does so much to reach those who reject him Motivated by his love and his compassion. The love of God is operative. So what are we to take away from it? We're to have the heart of God when it comes to the lost. We're not to write them off. There will come times where we just won't be able to share with them because of their rejection and we have to accept that. But at every opportunity we're called to share the gospel. Perhaps as I've preached this sermon, someone has come to your mind and you're sitting there and thinking wow, this person who has persecuted me have I prayed for them? Have I sought forgiveness? Have I sought God to break through their callousness and win them? Have I made overtures to try and reach them? Those are questions that we must ask ourselves. And we must follow in the example of the Apostle Paul by sharing the gospel because it expresses the very heart of God. Brothers and sisters, don't become discouraged with that person that you've been praying for. Don't look at someone as too far gone. They'll never respond. We don't know that. God alone does. Be faithful in sharing the gospel, demonstrating to others the very heart of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder that it is to us that you love the lost. You provided salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Even as enemies encircled the cross, our Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May we have that compassion, that concern, that love for even our persecutors. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.